Greetings to you in Jesus' name and blessed holidays. The fullness of time. What is the fullness of time and why is it important? I'm assuming you're like me and when you think of Jesus' birth and its timing, you think of the verses that talk about Jesus coming in the fullness of time. And that's found here in Galatians chapter 4, in verses 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. This would indicate to us that Jesus came, God sent Christ at just the right time. How, why was it just the right time? I don't think I have all the answers to that. Maybe none of the answers really. But this morning I'd like for us to think about Uh, some things from the Old Testament. The value of the Old Testament and why we have the Old Testament. And I was thinking about, um, as Larry was reading here and in verse 11 in, in what he read, it says, But no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident for the just shall live by faith. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, that phrase, the just shall live by faith, comes from Habakkuk, one of the last prophets of the Old Testament era. And I think it was pointing forward to Christ. The just shall live by faith. I'd like for us to think first of all about some lessons that we learn from the Old Testament. I want to read a few passages, but I probably won't be reading many passages today. But... I want to kind of just have us think about stories and ideas from the Old Testament that we are familiar with. I think one of the things we learn from the Old Testament is that man tends toward evil. We have the story of the Garden of Eden and the fall of man. And then we have the story of the flood and how, you know, God working through Noah to destroy the wickedness. We have the story of the Tower of Babel. And another idea that we learn from these stories is that God judges evil. 
in one of the Bible classes at Fairhaven, I'm teaching through the book of Judges. And we just see this again and again. You know, as people forsook God, as Israel forsook God, God brought judgment. So we have this lesson, I think is clear in the Old Testament. You know, we might not be able to turn to a chapter and verse, but as we look at the Old Testament and the stories there, it's clear that man tends toward evil and that God judges or punishes evil. I think another example of that would be the uh, fall of Israel and Judah and the Babylonian captivity. I do want to turn to Exodus 20 and to remind us that God is a jealous God. God is a jealous God, but he's also a God of mercy. Notice that in in these verses here in uh, Exodus 20. I want to read verses 2 through 6. I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. And along with that verse 6, showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments, I want to read Deuteronomy 7, verse 9. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. I find it interesting that there in Exodus it talks about visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation, but the mercy is unto thousand generations. An interesting lesson about God that we see in the Old Testament. I think we can also see in the Old Testament that God wants a relationship with people. I mean, we can see that already in chapter 1, 2, and 3 as we read about the story of the, the Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. You know, when they sinned, when they disobeyed, did God stay away? No. 
He came looking for them. In Genesis 12, we read about how God called Abraham. And it, part of the promise to Abraham was that in him and his descendants, all nations would be blessed. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, I read one verse from there, but it also talks there in Deuteronomy chapter 7 about how God wanted Israel, how he chose them, and why he chose them to be a special people for him. We also see in the Old Testament that God keeps his promises. I think Abraham was 75 when God promised him a son. He waited 25 years, but God fulfilled his promise. I think it's one of the precious things about learning, reading, and hearing the stories of the Old Testament is seeing how God does what he promises. In the Garden of Eden, God told Satan that a descendant of the woman would bruise his head. We believe that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. 4,000 years. But God was faithful. He didn't forget his promise. God promised David that his throne would be established forever. And we believe that's fulfilled in Jesus as well. We have the prophecies like Isaiah 53 talking about Christ, and it was fulfilled. God keeps his promises. And then there are many examples of people who were faithful in the Old Testament. And when I say that, you probably think of Hebrews 11. And I thought of just turning there, but I just want to highlight a few that aren't all at least listed in Hebrews 11. Enoch. The Bible tells us he walked with God. What was the world like in Enoch's time? Well, Enoch was only three or four generations before Noah. So it would seem obvious from Scripture that the world was not a godly place in which to live. But Enoch walked with God. God's promise to Abraham, I mentioned that. And then when Isaac was finally born, 
few years later, God said, sacrifice him. What an example of trusting God. Galatians, what Larry read for uh, scripture reading here, it says that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Example we can learn from. Jacob, the deceiver, but he learned to trust God. Joseph, was faithful. Moses was faithful. The Bible tells us a lot about Moses. Joshua. You know those verses from Joshua, be of good courage. We think about Joshua and the, the example. Think about Gideon. We think of Gideon sometimes as having little faith. But he trusted God. Or Rahab. You know, the story of her life and her becoming a part of the people of God. The story of Ruth. Or one that... It's not often listed or mentioned, but Jonathan, King Saul's son Jonathan, his faithfulness and his willingness to not be the most important man. We have a lot about King David. Or what about Jeremiah? Have you read about Jeremiah and how God said, I've called you to be a prophet. Go for it. Preach. And then he says, you know, everybody's going to be against you. But preach anyhow. What a challenge. Jeremiah was faithful. And God was faithful in his promises. story of Daniel and how he purposed in his heart not to defile himself. And what a challenge for us. There are many stories, both good and bad examples, from the Old Testament. You know, I think God's timing is not limited to the lifespan of a human. Well, I know it's not. Okay, So we have God's timing here. Do we need all those stories to be faithful? Did God need to wait 4,000 years? I don't have the answer. But I do believe that it was God's timing. want to highlight a few 
stories or incidents, not necessarily people, but incidents from the Old Testament. Christ's sacrificial death and the purpose of his death and what it does for us is reflected or shown in a number of events in the Old Testament. Jesus himself said to Nicodemus that the brazen serpent in the Old Testament is a model or a type or something that tells us about Jesus' sacrifice. The Israelites were in the wilderness. They were complaining. And God judged, God punished with serpents. And then we see God's mercy when they cried out to Moses and said, just Moses, deliver us from this. God told him to make a brazen serpent. And when people looked at the brazen serpent, they were healed. What a foreshadowing of Christ. As we believe like Abraham and we look to Jesus, his death on the cross for us, we look at that. We too can have life, be given life. The whole system of sacrificing lambs in the Old Testament was something that pointed forward to Christ. If we had no idea of of those sacrifices, how would we understand when John the Baptist said, Jesus is the Lamb of God? Those lambs were perfect. They were innocent. They were defenseless. They were type of Christ. I think about the tabernacle and the temple and the Holy of Holies reminding us of the holiness of God. And then I think about how in the Holy of Holies in the Old Testament, Nobody was allowed to enter except for the high priest once a year. But what happened at Jesus' birth? I'm sorry, not his birth, his death. The veil, the wall, not the wall, the veil, that blocked the entrance to God's presence was taken away. It tore, it was open. I think those stories, those accounts of, of the temple and the tabernacle and the priests and, you know, all those rituals just help us to understand 
how we can come to God and the privilege we have. I think of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt and how that reminds us of God calling us out of sin. In Deuteronomy 7, I referred to it earlier. God told these people specifically, I have chosen you. I think as God calls us out of sin, and as we respond, God says to each of us, I have chosen you. I want to read a list of names of God. And no, this won't duplicate with what Brother Dwayne read in devotions this morning. And the characteristics that go with these names. Names for God. The Most High God. Lord and Master. The God who sees Lord God Almighty, the everlasting God, the Lord will provide, the Lord who heals you, the Lord is my banner, the jealous God, the Lord who sanctifies you, the Lord is peace, the Lord of hosts, the Lord my shepherd, the Lord our righteousness, the Lord is there. As we think about these names for God, Jehovah, and other Hebrews, Hebrew names, there's a lot we learn about God from his Old Testament names. I like especially the last one, the Lord is there. I'd like to turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Here in Ephesians chapter 1, we have this phrase again, the fullness of time. Verse 10. That in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both with which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his will, that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first trusted in Christ." I think in verse 10 here, the fullness of times refers to Christ's second coming. And as we can see reason and purpose in the timing that God chose for the first coming, there's also reason and timing for the second coming.
from my perspective, I sometimes think about this 4,000 years from creation to Christ and only 2,000 years since Christ. And I think, isn't that a bit uh, lopsided? But as I was thinking about that, and hopefully you don't take this as heretical, but as I was thinking about that, I thought, you know what? I really don't know that we're at the end of the age. There are many things that would indicate, you know, the condition of our world and all that. But maybe God's plan is another 10,000 years. I don't know. Maybe Christ did come sooner than what we think in God's timing. Now that doesn't mean that I don't need to be prepared for Christ's coming personally. Because I don't plan to be around for many more years. So we need to think about that. But what is God's timing? I don't know. And I'm not discounting that his coming may be very soon. But then again, I don't know. But I do know this, that just as God, Christ's first coming was blessed, it was on time, it was orchestrated by God, so will his second coming be in his timing. There are many prophecies from Old Testament time that point to Christ. I probably have at least a dozen here just from the book of Matthew. And I'm not going to enlarge much on them. Jesus' birth was prophesied. His coming out of Egypt. His going to Nazareth. And then things, there's more, but thinking of things related to his death. You know, his betrayal for 30 pieces of silver. The parting of Jesus' garments. Those are all things that come from Old Testament. And help us understand that God fulfilled his promises. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews. I find Hebrews to be a very interesting book of the New Testament, and it refers a lot to the Old Testament. And I just want to point out some things from the book of Hebrews that if we didn't have the Old Testament era, 
we would have a hard time understanding. In chapter 3, we have the comparison between Moses and Christ. If you have your Bibles open there, you can kind of be following after. The end of chapter 3 talks about the rest we have in Christ. And it references the children of Israel entering the land of Canaan. And they entered the land of Canaan. There were crops there they harvested. There were houses there they lived in. There were cities there that were already built. And God said, this is yours. I think it's a picture of us coming to Christ and his provision for us. Not only in this life, but in the life to come. In chapter 6, verse 13. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. And then again, we see God's promise to Abraham, and we realize that God's promises to us are faithful as well. In chapter 7, we see about Christ's priesthood. We can understand that better as we think about the Levitical priesthood. In chapter 9, talks about the blood of, in verse 13, about the blood of bulls and goats and, you know, all that for the sanctifying of the flesh. And then it says, how much better is Jesus' sacrifice for us? Verse 15. For this and for this cause, he, Christ, is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. And again, I think we understand that better because of what we have in the Old Testament. In chapter 10, verse 28 says, He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. And how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of Man? And hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing. And hath done despite unto the spirit of grace. And again, we understand God's judgment. And there's more. I think of the apostles. In relation to the fullness of time and the timing of Christ's birth and the timing of establishing the church and the new covenant. You know, we hear about the Roman Empire and and how there was a universal language in much of the world. And how travel was possible. 
Some of the apostles were martyred right where they lived in Israel. But some of them, like Paul and others, traveled through Turkey into Rome. Paul may have gone as far as Spain. Thomas, according to tradition, went as far as eastern India and maybe even into the East Indies. Mark evangelized in northern Africa, across a good bit of northern Africa. The fullness of time, it was possible for that to happen. Turn with me yet again to Galatians chapter 4. And it talks about redeeming those that were under the law that we might receive adoption. In chapter 3, It talks about the law being our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And then it also talks about how that a child is under protection, tutor, but when he grows up, that changes. I think it might be a picture of the law and of Christ's first coming and initiating an era of God working in our lives in a different way. So as we think about Christmas, as we think about God's timing, let's remember that his timing was perfect. Kneel with me for prayer.